It's time to get the inside scoop on the Utah Jazz. From the play-by-play voice of the Jazz, David Locke. Sweet revenge! Presented by Murdoch Auto Group. Ow! On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good. You must be having fun with Utah State basketball. It's been a nice run. I'm not going to lie. And uh, it's always nice when it's unexpected, too, because uh, you bring a team together that has no returning minutes, no returning scores, and uh, and you piecemeal it together. And all of a sudden, you're nationally ranked, and you're 19-3. and three, And, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a fun run, for sure. I was reading about your head coach the other day that's a pretty interesting little bio he's 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 had a lot of success wherever he's been yeah fascinating guy that didn't happen to be like in the stanford news or anything right like that's not like like headed to stanford no is that the rumor because it'll be about time (laughs) no i'd say the one school you got to watch out for he's got some ties to the pacific northwest washington i think is the one you got to look at if Who's they, the head coach at Washington? Uh, I don't know, but he's in trouble, whoever it is. I, I forget the oh, name. It was Hopkins. Hopkins was there for a while. I don't know if he's still there. Is he, he the guy? Is he the, yeah, the Syracuse. I think he's still there, the Jim Beheim, uh disciple. Um, you know, I, it's interesting when these coaches leave these blue programs that have really good boosters built in that acquire talent for them. I mean, that help like the program develop and then they have to go somewhere else without that booster program. And it's interesting how many of like the Syracuse assistants and Duke assistants and Kansas assistants don't turn out to be very good. Yeah. It's may have something to do now. What will be super interesting is what happens now that that system is out in the open instead of the way it has been for the last 25 years. Yeah. Oh, wait, John Wooden, 50 years. Um, <laughs> so, how dare you, um, how dare you be, bring that up? The, I the, mean, the whole movie Blue Chips was about UCLA, by the way. If oh, yeah. didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, I, I mean, it's a really interesting – it's a really, really interesting concept now of, like, you, you that's, like, how everyone used to hire is the assistant. So it's – like Stanford hired a Bill Self assistant, Washington hired a Jim Beheim assistant. Like all those Duke assistants have been pretty suboptimal. There've been an exception or two, but Johnny Dawkins, Tommy Amaker, blah blah blah, have not been great. Quinn was probably the most successful. Mike Bray, Notre Dame was only okay. So it's interesting now because those are guys who came from great coaches who were getting players, however they were doing it. And now everyone's doing it that way. It'll be interesting to see what that's, how it changes, how coaches are hired in college. Who do you think plays a bigger role in wins and losses, college coaches or NBA coaches? Well, recruiting plays a bigger role in college wins than pro coaching. So mm-hmm. college coaches have a bigger impact on wins and losses because they're through whatever mechanism is acquiring their talent. Right? Yep. Well, I would I would say the same for uh, an NBA staff and scouting draft picks, but maybe it's not. Like, there's no question who's better, by the way. Yeah. Like, the NBA coaches are also using, you know, have the best tools in the world, but they're, the coaching is, I mean, like, I think he was your old Utah State coach, but, like, Odom was at Florida Atlantic and runs an NBA system against Tony Bennett and Florida and Virginia in an NCA game and like Tony Bennett looked like his eyes were bugging out of his head. Like they didn't 
they've never seen five out in their life and how to, how to deal with it. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it's not that complicated, but it's what the NBA runs all the time. And it is hard to space, and it is a little time um, to figure out, you know, to – you know, take some time yeah. to figure out the spacing of it to run it correctly. Yeah, UMBC, but yeah, I know you're, yeah. You oh, know. Was that who it was? It wasn't yeah. Florida Atlantic? Okay. No, yeah. no. Uh, but yeah, when you run that five out, and uh, it, it's been interesting too, just on a side note, like I have not seen two more opposite teams than last year's Utah State team and this year's Utah State team. Like, Which makes it even harder to which believe. It, it's crazy. Like, and usage. like it is, it is, I've never seen two more different opposite teams than, than what you've seen from an offensive so, Standpoint, it, like you were running five out open last year, oh, yeah. and this year you're now, now this year you're back to college double post. Yep, yep, hundred percent. Back to the basket, big that, man, all that stuff. Yeah. Hey. You know what? By the way, there's actually like they've actually had to get, get people out of the hospital who had to watch that Virginia Miami game yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you gotta get your shots in, man. I get it. Hey, uh, David, the double post. The double post should be with dinosaurs. Like, put it in the Utah History Museum. But God forbid I have to ever have to watch a game of double post. Please, never again. Hey, David, why did that uh, Jazz Bucks game have such a playoff feel? Such a just a crazy atmosphere. I mean, it was, I, mean I think if you go on a forty to thirteen run, wasn't that what it was by the end? Like, that's that creates the atmosphere. Maybe. Um, I could give you some deep sociological answer that maybe there was a higher percentage of people in the building on a Sunday who do not attend 15 jazz games a year, season ticket holders, mm. and that it was a big night out for them. And so that added to a little bit of it, um, added to the energy and vibe, who knows, right? The Sunday crowd could be different than our regular crowd. It might not be too, um, but it was, you know, you're playing well-known players and Dame and Giannis, um, it seemed from the opening introductions that people were intentionally there to see Giannis and Dame. And so, you know, then they, that's always kind of the case, right? Like you're there to see Giannis and Dame and then your, your hometown team go, you get hot, you know, you start rooting for your hometown team. Uh, but it was fun. That was, that was pretty, that, that just had a really fun atmosphere to it. There's no question. And then obviously that was a pretty magnificent run tip of the hat to the guys that staying in it. Cause you're down 18, you know, they can get tired and then, Obviously, they got tired, but you also took full-fledged advantage of it. How often are you surprised anymore? Because, honestly, I, I think all of us were watching that game in the third quarter and thought, okay, well, you know, look, you got uh, – it's February. You got the uh, All-Star break coming up. It would be really easy to fold up and be done here. And then all of a sudden, they go on that run. Play starts rocking. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, they're back in this thing, and then they win it going away. Like, you, you, you've been calling a lot of games, but you don't see a lot of games like that anymore. So I was surprised by a 40 to 13 run the whole time. I kind of was watching them. So there were two things that were going on in that game the whole time that we were talking about a lot on the air. Actually, we rarely get it as right as we did the other night. Three things. One was they had made like 65% of their long twos and non non paint restricted twos. Like it was kind of, there was some real absurdity going on with their shot making. So you were looking at like, okay, you're down 14, but you're, you're not being, you're not being outplayed that way. Right. Like there's just at some point that shot making. So it's probably a four point. It should be a four point game. It's a 14 point game. The second one was like, okay, they played last night in Dallas. That's a pretty brutal stretch. And so you were just kind of like, I kept thinking if we can get it to 10. The third was Dame looked terrible. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Dame looked terrible 
did kind of to me the whole game. I kept saying to Ron during breaks, like, wow, he looks awful. Like, and then it was the ankle when he went to the dunk. He got the one time he looked good. He dunked it, but then he hit. He didn't come down right. Like, he just didn't look right. Maybe it was the ankle, right? And or it's thirty three, one of the two, and, or it's back to back. And so you just knew that like their firepower wasn't all there. And so to me, it just kept kind of being a question, like, can we get it to ten? Can we get it to eight? Can we get it to six? And then the last one was the fact that they're, they they had lost three or five. They're one and two with Doc. They're eight and eight in January. Like, they're not right. They're – and I, I actually never thought they were going to be as good as they are this year, frankly. Um, I think I picked them something crazy like sixth in the Eastern Conference. Hmm. Um, so, I, I, I just – you know, I just don't think they're right. So there were a lot of factors where you're like, okay, this one's still there for the taking. Like, and that's where I'm actually impressed that Will – got the guys to stay with it and they pressed by the guys to stay with it because it was, I think it was there. I didn't think it was going to be there by 15 or whatever it took 12, like it turned out to be, but it was there if, if they kind of kept pushing and they did. Walker Kessler had a game too, David. It was fun to watch Kessler really rise up and play a big game against one of the best in the NBA and make it really difficult. And, put a couple of outlet passes out there and get his block shots in. It, it felt like Kessler was more aware of the moment, better suited for that situation. Is that just a personnel fit or, or what is it that made Walker kind of stand out to me and others? So two things on this one, it's a great observation on your part hands on the outlet pass. Um, I thought that was like one of the best plays he's made in a long time. Like that's where he's got to be. He's got to do that. There was a unique circumstance where there were two guys down there and they were open and he got it there. And like, you gotta be a little careful with it, but I love, I love the concept. Push ahead passes are, are really valuable in this league. The other one Ron Boone pointed out during the broadcast was that Walker was like in the second quarter, really kind of dejected. He has a tendency to beat up on himself a little bit and it was cause he had missed a layup and for so I think you know for him to bounce back out of that and stay highly engaged uh, and with the energy and focus you're talking about is a great sign. You know what what I thought was noticeable about Walker was our post game interview with him and then his post game press conference was Walker again, like the funny dude. The, like mm-hmm. hey maybe they'll name it after me about the dunk, <laughs> and like that's Walker and we haven't seen that at all this year. And I've got a kid exactly Walker's age and. And I've got a kid exactly Keontae's age or within 12 months of both of them. And it's been really interesting, so do you, Scotty, um, to watch these kids play in the NBA while have, and actually, I guess, hands you do too, while having my kids do what they're supposed to be doing. Like, and what I mean by that is, like, my kids are doing the natural developmental things that 18, 19, or 20, 20-year-old kids should be doing. Some of those are not great in theory, but those are the natural developmental things they should do, right? Like my daughter somehow missed the 6 a.m. flight home for Thanksgiving. Can't imagine what happened. The alarms went off and she didn't hear them. Hmm. But that's some of that kind of stupid stuff is what you're supposed to be doing at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. These guys are playing inside of a fishbowl with 19,000 people and another feels like 3 million when it's actually five yahoos in their basement who don't have a life commenting on everything that they do. And it's not natural. And I thought we saw Walker really get worn down by that earlier this year. 
Keontae, um, obviously with a tremendous performance, and you hear Coach, uh, we, we played a cut from him earlier in the show, where he says, look, he, he's not played point guard, and we're asking him to do some things that he's not comfortable with, and we're asking him to communicate at a higher level, and we're asking a lot of him, and here's a guy that has already well surpassed the 31 to 34 games that he's used to playing in the collegiate level, um, but yet he has a, a huge breakout game. Uh, is that something you feel like that he can build on going forward um and is this kind of a benchmark game that will hardy can look at and say look this is what you did in this game this is what we need from you going forward and is that a too much to ask of a rookie you know, i think the benchmark game happened like five games ago and if you have a, if you have a computer in front of you, you can pull up his basketball reference or his game log you'll help me out here for a second sure and actually the story i guess involves evan brads who's our director of player development um one of the jazz assistants kind of getting into Keontae a little bit and being like, let's go. But if you look about five games ago, his previous five game stretch, Scotty, he's 22% from the field and like 27 from three. He's shooting like one of his like last 12 on twos. Like it's crazy. Right. Yeah. And if you look at that five game stretch, since then, and it's been five games ago, I think, yep. he's taken double-digit shots in every game since. No, you're right. Okay, that, for, takes, from Oklahoma, that takes – From Oklahoma – so I'm just going to go through the stretch you're talking about. So you go to January 18th, Oklahoma City, one of five from the field. Um, the next game against Houston, one of three. The next game, one of eight. The next game, one of six. The next game, two of five. And then after okay. that, six of 11, six of 12, five of nine, seven of 13. Who's got enough you-know-whats to turn around out of that stretch and take 10 shots a night? Wow, that's a good point. Like, to me, that's all I need to know. I mean, you he, you could have gone away at that point. Like, you've got a five-game stretch in the NBA where you're shooting 22%. That's brutal. You could go away. Evan Brad's jumps him. I think it might have been in D.C. I don't know if jumps him, but talks to him and says, let's go. Like, beat Keontae. Stop it. Yeah. And he turns around and takes 10 shots a game after that. That's a little self-belief or what's this? What's that? Uh, I think it's a Bill Simmons phrase. It's not really Bill Simmons. Everyone's used it for their whole life, but he owned it. Um, what is it? Like, unreasonable confidence or whatever? That, like, concept? Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, that's not normal. That's not normal, right? Like, like uh, I think I'll, you know, we've seen a lot of guys stop shooting in this league when they can't shoot. Um, and so it's great. I think that's that's what I, what I think, you know, what's important, what happens is, is important. David, do you dread trade deadline days? What part of me? Well, because you're around these guys so much and you get to know their game and and maybe you project what they're going to be like and what this team could be like. And then the thought of uh, they might be moved out and the changes and and maybe some of the anxieties of having to figure out the new team and the new players. I I don't know. Just I just am curious if the thought of new personnel and big moves and and big things may be happening and if it gives you anxiety or if you dread it. If I'm being 100% transparent, the human in me who really enjoys these guys and likes being around them and has been very 
fortunate that I that I've made relationships with most of the guys on our team and over the years. But I also know the truth. Like it's a time and place. You know, like I mean I did talk to Gordon Hayward for twenty five minutes the other day in Charlotte. That was super nice, but Gordon Hayward and I used to be really kind of whatever, close, call it, whatever you want to call it. I've talked to him three times in eight years now. Like, I'm not, like, lost on this game that I'm, that I'm involved in where it's a time and place of interaction. So when we trade a player, I kind of know, that, like, I'm going to see Alec Burks once or twice a year for the next seven years get a two-minute update on his kids, and that's the extent of it where I used to actually talk to Alec Burks. Like, you know, like, I really shared conversation with one of our guys. I don't want to say names. You know, on sushi restaurants across the country the other day while we are on the road. Like, it was super interesting. Like, if he's traded, we'll talk again. That's just the reality. And so, yeah, in that sense, I totally hate it. The fan, who still, like, would be a Utah Jazz season ticket holder today, if I wasn't fortunate enough to call games, great. Like, what are we going to do? What's the next move? Who's making this? What's going to happen? Who's going to take this move? What do they do? What's like, how many players is Charlotte moving? What's, can Miami rectify their, their problems? The four, I mean, look at the Western Conference standings. There's four awesome teams within a half a game of first place. Like who's making the move? Right? Clippers, Denver, Minnesota, OKC, who's making the move? Because it might be the difference between the four seed and the one seed, and that matters. That being said, with teams needing just one or two moves to try to make that push, uh, is is there a potential of maybe getting a first-round pick for Kelly Olenek? Uh, I saw DJ – I listened to DJ and PK today, and they were kind of doing the conversation. Like if you could get a low first-round pick is for Kelly Olenek, do you do it? But, you know, is that enough? I think how they phrase it. Oh, I mean, I, I love Kelly Olenek. Like that was probably who I was just talking about as much as anyone, yeah. like no, numerous other conversations. Um, that is, that is my, you know, person I probably talk to most on the team. Um, I'll phrase it this way. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get into whether you can trade Kelly Olenek for a first round pick. The game you're playing is asset uh, evolution. Okay. So there's, there's my Bill Simmons creation of the day. So asset evolution. I think we might've talked about this, but Denver took Aaron Aflalo, turned it into Will Barton until turned Will Barton into Contavious Caldwell Pope. Pretty good. Because by the time Aaron Aflalo at that point was retired and you're turning that same asset into Contavious Caldwell Pope, who wins you in a championship, that's pretty good. Right. Denver made a trade to get the draft pick that was R.J. Hampton. They turned R.J. Hampton and Gary Harrison to Aaron Gordon. That's the game here. So if you can take Boyan Bogdanovich's cap space into Boyan Bogdanovich, into Kelly Olynyk, into a first-round draft pick that you couldn't get for Boyan Bogdanovich previously, pretty good. Right? If you can turn Dante Exum at his lowest point of value for Jordan Clarkson, who was a damaged asset at the time, into Jordan Clarkson for a first-round draft pick, that's pretty awesome asset evolution. That's, and that's the game you're playing here. That's the new buzz for Aiden. I like it. 
We're gonna asset st- evolution. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. steal that one. You're welcome to. Uh, Trademarks. Uh, in fact, uh, yeah. Let's. Uh, you, I think you need to get some T-shirts made. Asset evolution. We'll cite you when we use it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> David, appreciate it as always, man. Good stuff. Hope you're. I hope you're well. Hope the family's well. And uh, have a good call tonight. Yeah, have a good one. All right, well, this will be a fun one, Thunder. Oh, well, yeah. Only two teams in the NBA, top five offensively and top five defensively. Boston Celtics, Oklahoma City Thunder. Why are we talking about Clippers, Denver all the time? Should we be talking OKC as a finals team? Yes, we should. Thank you, David. Yeah. There he is, David Locke, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.